0: Hello friends, it's Caitlin and Chanika from Get Checkered. Get Checkered is part of the Alberta podcast, locally grown and, is that right? Locally grown and community supported? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. How are you, Miss thing? I was gonna see you so soon.
1: I know you're coming just over a week.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna fly by.
1: Very good. I'm excited to see you again. And I will probably have more stories for next week, but for this week, okay, when do we talk? Friday. And now it's Friday again. Yeah, it's been a week. So, okay. Hectic. I was telling Shanka just before the pod started, because the big thing is I literally just slept for 15 hours um, and woke up for this podcast. And I'm like, why am I sleeping so long? Like, what happened? And I'm looking back on it. It's like this week was something else, okay? It was something. So last Saturday, we did um, Kids Fest over on Kitsilano Beach, and we played beach volleyball for five hours straight um, like you had to have two girls on the court at every time. So, um, Lisa, Tyler's fiance and myself were on court the entire time, exhausted. And then we went to a barbecue afterwards, played more beach volleyball, more exhausted. Shank call good. Keep going. I'm going to kick
0: these dogs out. Give me one sec. You can keep telling your story. I'll be 30 seconds.
1: I'll tell the, I'll tell the story to the pod. So um exhausted from Saturday and then on Sunday we had soccer practice and it's like warm right in Vancouver so exhausted from that we had business boot camp again this week and like I don't know I'm not a morning person so starting at eight thirty. um it's normal work time so don't get on my case about that but it was rough for this week um and then we've been planning actually this big um party on the beach actually it's going to happen in a few hours um so like running around doing a lot of shopping for that we had soccer game which Ooh, how we, won, we won the semi-finals on wednesday Dude, congrats um, thank you thank you um it was in penalty kicks it was insane shanika yeah geez okay um but we won on penalty kicks god knows how and then we make it to the finals and like the team was very good and i'm like okay we got we got kind of blown out the water and it was a final and I'm like, so something was mismatched. <laughs> How could this happen in a final? Um, okay, good enough. But we played the semis at 7:30 p.m. and the final started at 8.30 p.m. And mm. I'm like, same with the other team, but they're younger. <laughs> <laughs> We're a bunch of old master students, and that was too much. Too much. And so we lost. We came in second this time. Also came in second in the beach volleyball. It was the theme for this week. Um, and then we went to <laughs> a bar afterwards. And honestly, should I feel like it's Wednesday, so went out till, of course, three thirty in the morning, and then had class at eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> oh God, that's probably why uh, you still have fifteen hours. It definitely contributed. So that's been my week. It's been hectic, but it's been fun making the most out of Vancouver so far gotta enjoy it while you
0: can before really? it gets all dark and gray again how's your week been it's been so good um I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast but one of my very good friends Miranda got engaged earlier this year and she was finally coming home so she lives in Virginia um with her partner but uh we threw her like a little engagement thing on Sunday um which was really lovely it was just so good to see everyone I think it's like for that friend group that I have, we, it's really hard for us to all meet and see each other. Like, we honestly, it's like we try to make birthdays, but even that can be difficult. And it's just because all of us have really different lives and really different careers. So, one of us, one, my friend Maddie is a nurse, so her hours are totally wacko. Like, it's just difficult. So, everyone was able to make it, which was awesome. And um, it was a surprise for her, too. So, she had no idea that we had planned something like that. And then we ended up going to, um, go dress shopping. So she actually found a dress in under two and a half hours. And it's like super beautiful. I know. I was was like, thank God.
1: Like, was this the first day
0: she went dress shopping? Yeah. She She found a dress and yeah, we have a wedding date. It's August 19th, 2023. And then this week I, um, I went to, this is new restaurant in Calgary. So, okay. Yeah, most of our listeners are not from Calgary. Uh, we have a pretty good food scene. So there's a new place called Fortuna, Fortuna's, Fortuna's Row um, in East Village-ish area where the Booker's used to be. It's really good, really amazing Latin American food. So highly recommend going there. But it was on a Tuesday that I was with like the Sophie Grace team and I couldn't meet up with Michaela and Miranda and them. And Miranda was being so weird. She was sending me like She was like, oh, like, I just need to give you something. And I was like, I don't know what you mean. I didn't dawn on me. um, And then I saw her last night because her flight is today, unfortunately. And she asked me to be her bridesmaid. So, (laughs) yeah, I will be standing alongside of her on her wedding day. And we just outlined the next little bit. Um, I don't know if this is not posted publicly yet, but only because she's in the mountains. So by the time the episode's out, it's fine. Maddie, my friend Maddie, also got engaged. (laughs) Really? Yeah, on Wednesday or Tuesday, she sent us a message being like, hey, guys, I have to tell you something. And I was like, no fucking way. So basically, in the last like three months, three of my friends, not even in the last like a month, two of my friends got engaged in the last three months, it feels like three of them got engaged all in the same friend group. So super big, super exciting. But it also means that the next two years of my life is basically planned out because we're thinking to go to Mexico on like a, we're turning 30 trip in February, 2023, right. um, which would be fun. And then Miranda wants to have her bachelorette May, 2023, I get married, August, 2023, and Maddie will likely have a fall wedding probably during 2023. Like I would imagine. Um, and then Femina's plan is for 2024 sometime in the end of June. So yeah this is the time folks your late 20s is when you go flat broke because you're going to
1: (laughs) you know it's not going to stop this is just your first three friends well not even but like you know of the of the main of the main characters your first three I know the first 3
0: I'm like oh my god okay um but yeah just a lot of bridesmaid duty stuff coming up and it's like holy crap this shit is it's expensive. Okay. We all need second jobs just to be bridesmaids at this point, but I'm really excited for Miranda's wedding and just for like all the things it's like really exciting. Um, but it's also really sad. Long distance friendships are so difficult. Like (laughs) and Caitlin and I are kind of in one right now. I mean, good news is I know there's like a timeline for her. So Caitlin will be back in Calgary, like at a reason, like soon ish. I you want to
1: get those regular trips to
0: Vancouver. It's easy. Do I want to go to Virginia to see Miranda? No. <laughs> um, can we meet in the middle somewhere? Probably. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, you spend so much time with these people. Like Caitlin and I have known each other since what, we were 10 or 11. Um, I've known Miranda and them for over 10 years. And you make all these memories together. You essentially grow up together. And then you have to like, be like, holy crap, we're going to live lives like hundreds of miles, thousands of miles apart. And it's so crazy. But yeah, Miranda also wants to have babies like really soon too. So I'm like, I know I thought we were 16. Like what's going on? (laughs) I'm like, I thought we were still 12. Like I didn't know we were going to get married. (laughs) Um, but we're telling her she has to kind of plan around the weddings and potential bachelorettes. So you know, because we want to have fun, but yeah, that's like the big stuff. It's just that's pretty
1: big, that's pretty big stuff. Yeah, <laughs> lots
0: of people in my life are getting married or engaged, and I went to like great people, which is the most important thing. Um, yeah, and also all their experiences were really different. So, Miranda's been wanting to get engaged for a while, and Will had talked to me about the ring and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they were camping, and it was really low key, just the two of them, and um. She'd think- she thought he was gonna propose like three or four times beforehand too. So she's just been like waiting for it. And then Famina was fully surprised. Like there- Charles videotaped the whole thing. She had no idea what was happening. <laughs> and yeah, like stunned. And if you watch the video, you can tell she's just so shocked um, because apparently Charles is was- Charles was not good at keeping a secret. So she's like, I had literally no idea that he like asked my dad and done all the things. Um, and then Maddie- <laughs> Her is a little different because her and her partner, they always go hiking. They're always in the mountains. And he was being like kind of weird, like they were about to go for a swim. And instead of getting into swim trunks, he got into like dress pants. And then he was like, oh, setting up a tripod and was like, oh, is the camera like angle okay? And she's like, you never take photos <laughs> like of both of us when we're hiking. Mm-hmm. And then she like realized what was happening, and she was wearing a different ring on the finger, so she took it off and put it on the other hand. <laughs> just yeah. so, and all the weddings are going to be super different. Miranda's going balls to the wall crazy. Camila's just going to throw a giant party. So it's just really interesting. Everyone's doing it their own way, which I think is what you're supposed to do. But I love that. Yeah, overwhelmed with wedding stuff for sure, and it's exciting it's an exciting time but that's all still watching the doggies they're outside right now and I don't know if you heard that but probably want to come back in nope really next little bit (laughs) they can play there's balls out there but they just bark at everything that swings by including wasps and bees Hmm. I've caught um Zelda try to eat them a few times and I'm like bruv what are you doing
1: not not the smartest idea
0: yeah, probably not. Um, Yeah, but I get to see you on the 18th, which is actually very soon.
1: It's very soon.
0: I'm flying back to Vancouver, and I'm probably going to fly back again when you move, so.
1: Yes, yes. Your girl is moving out to a new place in Kitsilano in September to December, and it's going to be a fantastic place. So I told Shanika she has to come visit. Exactly, and
0: we're going to do it. Swing
1: back for I just had to I, I have to put this out into the universe. There's an in-suite sauna in this new place. Like, how is that a thing? An in-suite a, sauna? A sauna. Yes. I, I'll show you the pictures. But like,
0: I don't even know what that would look like.
1: <laughs> me neither. I like this weird like wooden structure I was like, oh odd. And then turns out, yeah, that's the sauna. Just it's like a single cedar damn yeah you have to send me photos I can't even visualize
0: how they put it into your apartment
1: no you come see come see it (laughs) yeah get ready for a sauna I could use a sauna after the week I just had
0: (laughs) (laughs) soon enough you'll be in that apartment so soon truly okay Okay. nice catch-up we're good I know lots of stuff so this week we're going to talk about a few of the headlines and then go into the major sort of articles because our boys the drivers are cover girls on two different publications Mm -hmm. so there was like super in-depth interviews and yeah we'll just go through them pull out the highlights for you and give our opinions but first okay this is the first article I found and I'm annoyed like immediately annoyed but it's called is Toto Wolf Too Powerful for F1? And this is from Grand Prix 24-7. And it basically talks about how Toto has held every single role. Like, he's a team shareholder, board member, executive director, CEO, principal, motorsport manager, driver manager. Like, he's been in the sport since 2009, on, I think, on the professional side. So not as a driver. Um, and then the article went on to question if Toto's voice is too loud. So more loud than the other um, team principals. And if that causes a problem. Mm. And I don't, I just like thought it was awkward because it feels like, why would you, I mean, I understand like conflicting business, you know, interests and stuff like that. But I think it's very weird to be like, you are too successful. Like it's not his fault that he's worked his ass off and leveraged enough if things. Do, yeah. Yeah, to be like, he is entrepreneurial. So I'm sure a lot of the other team principals could become team shareholders or do those things, but it's just weird. Anyways, some of the questions that they brought up in uh, the article was that if he's putting his business interests um, over the team's interests or the sports interests. So they said, can um, Wolf's voice uh, sorry, Wolf's vocal opposition to Andretti's entry into F1 be perceived as manicuring his own best interest in mitigating risk to the return on his investment in the Mercedes team. So basically um, as if it's splitting the F1 pie to 11, would his reported resistance to the proposed F1 PU technical changes for the 2026 20- season be suspect too? what's in it for him is what they said springs to mind. Um, And then the last question that they brought up was, what about his well-reported attempt to blockade Mercedes power unit customer uh, Williams from contracting Red Bull nurtured driver Alex Alvin for the 2023 season and beyond? This was denied by Wolf, but worth raising a question. Um, What was really weird, though, is that this article was retweeted by Andretti, and he said that this was something that needed to be said. So I'm like, T, like, is there stuff going mm-hmm. on behind the scenes that we just don't, <laughs> which seems to be most of the sport, to be honest.
1: Well, okay. So right off the bat, mm-hmm. Jackie, you nail it on the head. Like, if he's too successful, that's capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. He's done well for himself. Like, that's exactly what he meant to do. Now, I can see that, like, um, people are concerned if his voice is louder than others um mm-hmm. but but that's not on total right like yeah. as a yeah he could totally maybe like take a step back in meetings and like oh let other people have equal save that's what you really should be doing in meetings but competitive Capricorn men if you're doing that don't put all your eggs in one basket don't expect it to just come from him um we were doing actually so my business boot camp this week we did finance yeah and part of the finance Um, discussions really come into ESG now right Mm -hmm. and it's like so it really comes into the whole governance thing like how transparent are you guys being with your decisions like how they were made like how um, all the input was the same like Mm -hmm. you want to get more funding make sure you have solid ESG and like the governance part is huge Um, it's actually really hard to think about but like hearing the discussions from my class yesterday and then seeing this I'm like okay so governance can help control pretty much like put Things in place that control the control from yeah controls in their names, yeah. right? Like that's something the FIA can totally look into doing. Right, no, 100%.
0: Concern,
1: FIA, take a look. You have people.
0: <laughs> uh, that's exactly it. I think it's interesting. Because the article puts onerous on Toto for just being successful, and I think it's weird when, if there are structural issues, it lies with the FIA. And Mm -hmm. like you said, they have control over how they're handling decisions about Andretti coming in. And we also know that the real Frank story of it all is that Andretti coming in, it's all about money. Like if you don't have the money to finance it, it's not going to happen. And it's not to say that he doesn't have the money or doesn't have the name, but we know how expensive the sport is. So if he, that's a big piece of the conversation. And that's also something that can be controlled by the FIA in terms of um, making it more equitable and easier for people to join if they wanted to but I think it was like such a weird article to I don't know I just think like <laughs> you shouldn't I just think it's weird to speak negatively of people that are successful just because they're successful
1: yeah like I don't there's
0: know. so many other things to critique people on that are successful there's so many things but just to be like he is a shareholder he's a team principal like that's problematic and I can kind of understand it from a competing interest perspective I get that but the article is in position that way and it just puts all of the owners on Toto which I'm like I don't know and if it is like you said if it's a team versus business interest then the FIA should have intervened like it
1: shouldn't be told. <laughs> like of course like honestly do I think Toto is making some of these like accusations and opinions in his best interest Kind of, yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) most people do. (laughs) And like, it's almost like take an easy shot and like put it all on him because that's what he's doing. Well, Sir Andretti, you're probably doing the same thing with your businesses, honestly. Um, (laughs) And like address the systematic thing. It's harder to change. But I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how you're actually going to get it to change. 100%
0: 100% I don't know I just watched a weird article but I had to we had to talk about it just because Andretti like retweeted it and was like this needs to be said and I'm like okay whatever dude I don't know if you are watching us on YouTube my hair is so bad and I apologize but you know I went to bed very late last night so been watching a lot of Love Island obsessed <laughs> <Nice>. yeah anyways <laughs> um the next headline what is it So it's about Matea and I wanted to, I pulled this like direct quote from him just because I thought it was so funny and I think we completely disagree, but it's Ferrari boss, Matea Benito, um, speaks on a sack, um, speaks out as sack calls intensify over Max Verstappen failure. And the direct quote in there is I'm looking at the overall balance of the season and we made the right strategy in France. We made it the right, uh, we got it right in Austria and as many times as we've, as in many times we made it right. I didn't really understand that piece of it, whatever. Um, Sometimes you make a mistake. Sometimes the others are doing mistakes. Maybe we're not on the line so much. It's not only, oh God, I, Nikki, um, who is a Ferrari strategist, the entire team is great. I'm fully supporting them because I trust them. I have opinions
1: Okay, I do too. I want to hear yours. I want to hear yours. (laughs) Okay, so again, business boot camp, right? (laughs) Um, The whole thing about like, we took um, organizational behavior and human resources Mm -hmm. class, and it was honestly great. We had a professor, um, Wayne Rockliffe, if anyone at UBC has had him before, like, he's such a well spoken guy, like, friendly and like very into inclusion and diversion. and he's all about, like, okay, like, the case we had to read was about, like, um, who takes accountability for something like this, Um, Mm -hmm. and my reflection is, like, I I do support that, like, someone in Matia's position, like, a leader takes, takes accountability for the performance of the team for an outward approach. I totally agree with that, so it's not, like, I didn't even know this person's name, Inaki, like, we're not fully putting it on Inaki. I know there's, feed ins for Nokia. I know other people are giving opinions. There's software he's relying on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but no, I don't think strategy was as correct as they were saying. So I do think, yeah. like the whole communication side, like what the audience perceives in marketing. <laughs> literally, I, I don't, I know the professors will not be listening to this, but I've learned a lot over the past. <laughs> like, what the audience <laughs> is perceiving from Ferrari's strategy is that they have been making a lot of mistakes. So what they're communicating to us is that like oh we're not making these mistakes is completely against what we're perceiving and that creates a bit of distrust and that Mm -hmm. is exactly what they don't be needing right now, although I love that Matei has taken the responsibility, maybe he should have been, maybe, I don't know. Evaluating what the audience is seeing too, like, okay, you guys think we've been making these mistakes, but like, maybe there's other reasons we've been making them. And overall, we're seeing it as a net win in our garage for whatever reason, right? But right now, I don't believe what he's saying, because, you know, why do you think it's actually the right calls you've been making when everyone literally else in the F1 community is like, oh, yikes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and honestly, that's my critique about this whole thing too, because it it's completely disjointed. It feels completely disjointed from reality because at the end of the day, what we know and what we see are, is that Charles Leclerc is 80 points behind Max Verstappen in the world championship race when they've had, both of them have had competitive cars. Of course, they're, you know, one's a little bit better in one way, the other one's a little bit better in the other way, whatever. But that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. And a lot of the reason why is because Ferrari's made absolutely insane mistakes and strategy calls. And I think it's ridiculous to say, well, we got it right in these three places. So it's fine. It's like, honey, you got you may have gotten it right in these three places, but you got it wrong the majority of the time. And you're putting a driver in a really shit position where Max is doing incredibly well. And even on the days that Max is, you know, DNFing or starting from the back, Ferrari's not able to like do well, which makes no sense. And to take that advantage, because what we, again, see all season is that when Max is on the grid, he's probably going to (laughs) win. He's going to be fine. So I I think it's a little short-sighted, but I do agree from an accountability perspective, it has to fall on him. If you're the leader of a team, it does fall on you when um, things go awry or if it doesn't work and if there's mixed messaging or whatever, but we've seen this consistently with Ferrari. And I think I'm curious because we've seen so sort of two different types of leadership. There's total wolf on one side. Who's been like our car is shit and like been very vocal about the fact that like they're maybe taking one step forward one weekend and then two steps back and that they're just like trying to figure it out together. Um, and then we have Ferrari saying, Oh, like we've made really good calls, but yeah, there's some mistakes sometimes, but like generally it's going pretty well. And I'm like, I actually don't, I think it's more earnest to be like, Hey, guess what? We're screwing up and we need to figure it out together, but you don't have to throw anyone under the bus to do that. You can just be like, Hey, we're screwing up, but we're going to work together as a team to figure it out and um, align with our reality of what we're seeing. And also what Charles is experiencing.
1: (laughs) Poor babes.
0: He's. I just I feel I feel really bad for him we'll talk about Ferrari a little bit later in the podcast too
1: (laughs) but no yeah that's an interesting one I don't know I think I saw that too just in passing that like Matea didn't think anything was really wrong and they don't need to do any reorgs and sir at least call us oh because that's that's exactly what we're not seeing so why are you saying that um, there might actually be other factors, to be honest. Like, I yeah, want to pressure from like external from his shareholders to like keep these specific people. Who know? But all I know is, sir, it looks like you're not really telling us everything, and you're kind of lying to us. So it don't look good.
0: Yeah, and it comes back to that weird Ferrari secrecy. They're always so secretive about stuff, and as fans and as people watching this season, you're getting. Um, it's like harkening back to Sebastian Vettel, right? In the final year or two that he was with Ferrari um, that was on Drive to Survive, right? Like the first, yeah. So where he was clearly upset and it kind of makes sense. And Ferrari was trying to be super secretive about it. And it's like, I think you can just say like, we just want to fix things and we want to work together as a team. But I think it's, yeah, just really disjointed.
1: Is this like a cultural difference?
0: Like what we're- Potentially, Yeah. The normal approach
1: to things
0: <laughs> definitely a cultural difference we know that ferrari is very very close knit and um in the art of the gq article that caitlin and i are going to talk about later it's even mentioned in there that it's like they're you know the pr people didn't want them talking about certain things so it's like they're very very tight knit um so yeah you're right it is a cultural difference but they got to figure it out I know. because like, of- if charles you know- needs to be competitive
1: Brian needs to listen to this podcast <laughs> and maybe it opens the door to changes you can make to actually win a championship because you guys have the card to win a championship and you probably won't be winning it this year at the rate you're going at. Oh. Oh. heartbreaking but like reality and isn't that the goal like let's circle back <laughs> win and you're not winning <laughs> So... You're making ridiculous mistakes.
0: Lest we forget the whole like trying to box someone as they were overtaking and doing a really intense move, speak Carlos. But like it's like those things where it's like, what how is that even happening? Like, how is the driver hearing box box as he's trying to overtake someone in a very difficult spot? Like those things should not be happening, anyways. Um, okay. The next article is more stressed for um, Formula One fans, I think personally, but it's from motorsport.com, which is said, uh, the headline was U S fan demand can support more, many more in quotation marks F1 races says Coda chief. So Coda has signed a new five-year deal to host the USGP. Um, sorry, they signed it in February And it's celebrating its 10-year anniversary with another sellout in October. So great for them. And then the chairman, Bobby Epstein, honestly, like, not a great last name. I think we should just acknowledge that. (laughs) Um, He told motorsport.com that the track could crush last year's numbers, which is, again, great because the demand for tickets is so high, but that they're focusing a lot on keeping the fan experience as good as possible. He said, and I quote, we just got a new road out to the circuit, which we needed badly. As long as we feel like people can have a good experience and we can execute on that, those are things we can focus on. We don't control the content on the track. We control the entertainment and your off-track experience. Our capacity can be a lot higher. And that's one thing we look to do over the next few years. And then the article goes on for him, um, sorry, goes on and he says, yeah, we could ha- totally have many more races. Okay, I think that's a problem because there's already, what, three in the U.S. now? We've got Miami, Vegas, and CODA.
1: How are they adding more? Where would more come from? (laughs) Like, honestly, infrastructure-wise, the states can make anything happen, right? (laughs) Like, they have so much money. They have so many people. Like, yeah, you could put more races in the states, but I think that's, like, you have to think about it, F1 kind of strategy and it's a global sport so yeah don't concentrate too much like that that wouldn't it i don't think it would resonate well with a lot of the global community of f1 yeah of course if you want to spread it out around the states then maybe do different circuits every year or something um but of course that wouldn't be ideal for someone like coda chairman (laughs) (laughs) To have yes. all the money from the race every year, well, sir, maybe that's a competition then, right? Like, yeah, can't be, I don't think you should be having more American races, um three more than enough, um right? I agree. It's, it's insane. So-
0: I also think from like the driver perspective, they can't add any more races. Like they can't
1: do it, no, and for fans, too, like should <laughs> we're tired. <Stop. laughs> Like every weekend doing, this, if you want to have a life outside of F1. <laughs> I
0: saw someone posted TikTok about that, where they're like, oh, like I found a happy place place with F1, but now it just has taken over my life, which I think is very accurate. Um, <laughs> it also doesn't feel, um, we haven't done a full episode on this. I know we talked about it in, in a few episodes though. but just like the And maybe you mentioned too, Caitlin, just the full cycle of these tracks, like making sure that if they are adding more races to the US, that the tracks are being used for other things and that they don't end up getting abandoned, which we've seen, like that's happened a few times. I think in one of the early episodes, we talked about that. So even from like a environmental perspective, it's like, does that even make sense to add more when, uh, frankly, the US is dealing with a lot of stuff anyways? Um that they should probably put their energy towards in all their states
1: you know like f1 is a powerful sport um they are gaining popularity in the states they can really set standards for new circuits that want to enter in the state right like they can make those like esg requirements before they place right and i really think they will they probably not i don't think there's like a backbone on the f1 right now to be honest but like they can really, I don't know. Personally, I I do think there's a lot of social issues in the States. And I know you do too, Shanika. Yeah, we definitely a lot do. of people know about them. So it's like really push for like if you're gonna put a new something in the States, because I don't think Vegas is gonna stick around. It's like a one time thing, right? I I honestly don't know. Maybe. Um if they yeah, if they want to extend it or want to like put another race in, a third one permanent one in the states or something. Make it so they have to, like, meet certain standards for humanity. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, yeah, they can push for it. I hope they would, but who knows if they will. Yeah, I don't know. Canada, like, come on. I agree. I would love
0: one more in Canada. Ooh, that's that's, closer that's than one I know. Because our flying right now in Canada is like, totally crazy. So if they could have one that's, like, easier and easier airport to fly into, you know i would take a vancouver one any day <laughs> and people love vancouver okay you come and visit exactly. in vancouver um caitlin do you want to do the ad read while i go let these doggies in
1: wait i can do this okay yeah so that's the uh, end of the lines before we get into our cover gals part of the episode so this episode of get checkered is brought to you by alberta blue cross Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Amazing. Okay, so...
0: I am so excited because we have three drivers that are covering like major magazines. So the Ferrari Boys took over GQ, which was really, really cool for the September issue, I believe. And uh, the article was really, really well done. Um, I actually clipped the whole thing. Um, yeah, using this new software thing is so cool. But first of all, Caitlin, what did you think of the photos? <laughs>
1: I mean it's GQ <laughs> <laughs> I love the photos Um, they look amazing in the photos um, they weren't in their race suits were they? they were in like leather and yeah. It, it just added to the GQ-ness so I wasn't mad about it
0: yeah they were in yeah they just they looked very good like head thing on in one it's like there's a photo of, I think it's, it is Carlos where it's just his face and his helmet and his eyes look so good. I'm like, okay, sir. Um, they didn't put any photos of the actual, I mean, there's photos of them like leaning against the car, but I can't tell if it's actually like a F1 car. Um, the major photo was just of a regular Ferrari car. Um, which I was like, okay, I get it. Whatever. But if you have a chance, it's, um, you can see it without, there's no paywall. So we can just head to, um, I'll put it in the podcast description, but you can just head to that and look at the photos. Cause they look really good. The boys looking good, looking like little fashion girlies. I think they probably had fun. Right. I think so. I think so too. So the article is by Tom Lamont, I think, and it basically just follows Charles and Carlos signs um, for a whole day at the Ferrari headquarters. So it's less of a um, deep dive into either one of them. It's more like an overview of what Ferrari is and the glory that they're trying to bring back. There's some interesting quotes that I noticed, Caitlin, I don't know if there was anything for you too, but just how, The town itself is super secluded. So Maranello is where this all is. But um, it adds to that sort of mystery, I suppose, that we have around the close, tight-knit Ferrari family. But some of the pieces of the article that I loved was when Charles and Signs talked about how they first got exposed to Ferrari. So Charles said he was 11 or 12, kind of sometime around there. He went to Maranello and the ferrari factory area that's like closed off and he sat in the car park for two hours trying to guess what was what it was like inside and he imagined that it was like charlie and the chocolate factory with oompa loompas running around everywhere (laughs) how endearing is that i think it's so sweet (laughs) that's like the super closed off space that you just have never seen um signs was described as a mild and polite spaniard cute um and he was introduced to marinello under the cover of darkness and he said it was a secret expedition because i was meant to wait for my contract from another team to end um which who did he jump from mclaren right is that right yep. Yep. yeah 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 okay um so he did in the cover of darkness he came and visited so I oh, thought that was really sweet but some of the ways that Tom describes the boys Charlotte Leclerc
1: is boyish and an enthusiast which I think we would agree I mean yeah but boyish if you're describing a grown man <laughs> it was not a fan okay fine I was like oh choice of words sir <laughs> um
0: and science is more modest lightly brushed by melancholy I
1: don't exactly know what that means <laughs> like I don't know it what it, so I think of melancholy like that one movie Kristen Dunst is in and I'm like I don't see a soft touch of melancholy on Carlos signs, but if that's what Tom saw okay <laughs> But he is like, because I think when I think melancholy, it's like a bit of,
0: like sadness, is it not? Or just like, feeling just
1: sad. Just, <laughs> I would think of melancholy as, like, I don't know, just kind of down. Yeah. Life is okay. <laughs> like just, mm. and I'm like, I don't see that in Carlos Sars. He has a he he has the chili pepper that's that's what I would say
0: too so that's I was really interested in because of course remember this journalist was coming in for a day so I wonder if it was just one of those days for Carlos but I think it's interesting that he put it in as slightly brushed by melancholy so like a a sadness which I think is interesting I don't know um anyways this he dives deeper into what it was like to you know see Ferrari land there's some history about the town and the town center but the piece that like really pulled out for me was um just about this priest so there was once this is a direct quote by the way no freaking distilling anything but there was once a priest in the region um don sergio mentovani great who raced ferraris in his spare time (laughs) he did so with a rosary clenched between his teeth could you imagine that no dentist would like that i'm gonna be honest I wouldn't recommend doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Years later, San Baggio's priest would ring the church's bells to signal the team's victories. Um, So since the priest has been gone, his successors have continued to do that in the town whenever a Ferrari driver wins. So I think that would be a really cool thing to experience, Caitlin. Could you imagine you're in Ferrari land and the bells start ringing every single time one of them wins so the bells of course rang in March when Leclerc finished first and then in Bahrain again in April um when there was wins by Carlos Sainz and then again by Charles in July
1: isn't that interesting that's fun yeah yeah I like that um and I think like tying that into what kind of stood out for me is like how the town like in English you'll say Ferrari land is what he's like Um, And then he's like, yeah, but in Italian, like, if you just say the name of the town, Maranello, is that what it is? Maranello. Maranello. Like, people just assume it's Ferrari. And I'm like, okay, so, like, if you're, if you live there, right, if you live in Maranello, like, that's your association. Right? So. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting.
0: It's so wild. So this whole town's, like, adapted. To Ferrari yeah Ferrari like completely like they all represent Ferrari too which is so interesting um the rest of the article they talk about a bit of a timeline so they talk about um just the failures that uh Ferraris had over the last few seasons um but they call Charles Leclerc a special favorite which I think is something we all agree
1: quite a a bit they go into like Charles is He's like, oh, they don't call it number one, but everyone kind of knows Charles is number one. I'm like, dude, don't put this in writing. <laughs> That's I agree. <laughs> I felt like the same way I was like, first of all, you call Carlos Stein sad, and in <laughs> one team he's the on number one guy. Uh, oh, don't he's he's like, 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 read this. Don't get your mood down. Yeah. I, like, oh. Yeah, he said it a few times in a few different ways. I was like, sir, do you understand this is taboo <laughs> right now? My opinion
0: that's exactly it and there's a few times where like there's um and more mention of how they appear which I think is weird so uh in the article it was a day that the boys were in the simulators so I think what's interesting is uh Carlos Sainz really talks about what it's like being in the simulator he said it's the toughest day of the week you finish 150 laps and you can't think which I would imagine is true hey because like we watch them do what 70 laps maybe um depending on the course but uh, sorry the track but if they're in a simulator oh and you're just doing the same runs over and over again I feel like your brain would be melting
1: and that's kind of what he said at the end right he's like you come out of there and people are asking for your autograph and you just quote unquote like literally cannot think
0: yeah and that's and I would totally imagine that um so Carlos is described here as doe-eyed naturally handsome Um, though not one for mirrors his hair lazily parted on the side today Mm -hmm. what? and this counters Charles how he's described which is Leclerc's famous good looks are sleeker and more polished than those of his teammate you can easily imagine him as the prioritized singer in a boy band (laughs)
1: like sir I thought it was so I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> You're getting like my live reaction to like that word choice.
0: Oh my gosh! And like Caitlin said, they go on to talk about how you know they say there's not a one number one driver, but there is. And to quote Leclaire, is the preferred son, and signs older by a few years must play sidekick. Why are these things we're putting in writing? Oh,
1: right.
0: It sure. makes me sad. It makes me sad. And, um, at one point he does acknowledge that, uh, Tom, the, the writer, he said, you ache for signs though. Um, so I, I think there's some acknowledgement, but I think what's interesting is that signs talks about if he ever catches himself indulging in self-pity for any reason, he said, and I quote, if on a given day, I feel tired or sad, or maybe something's not quite right with me, if I'm in a bad mood and I don't know why. It is his habit to find a peaceful spot at Maranello and repeat a mantra shit. And it goes, sorry, I'm a Ferrari driver. I'm in Maranello. I'm going to drive a simulator today. I'm going to test the car and soon I'm going to, I'm going to race. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really sweet because I I think that's a piece of this that we kind of miss sometimes is that these drivers are normal human beings. Like they're not going to have the best days all the time. Um, Carlos maybe not having the best day after reading this because this article basically said he's the second driver and it's sad. But I, like I
1: think that's good. yeah, and I think it's like honestly, everyone should be going to therapy, honestly. Um and like if he does, if this is why he's kind of like he's found his way to overcome these sad feelings, that's awesome. If he came up on it on his own, that's awesome as well. Um but yeah, like, you get yourself into a funk, and I think, like, it's great to hear that, like, what Carlos's routine is to get out of a funk, because um, everyone can get in funk, so maybe we all just need to start saying into a mirror, even though apparently Carlos doesn't look in a the mirror. <laughs> 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 These funk because, yeah, yeah, things, things could be worse.
0: Um, and reading this article, Maranello is definitely on my list of places to visit. So there's a two story Ferrari, um, museum that's on site, which mm-hmm. is packed with all the trophies, cars, memorabilia, and the museum director, um, who's described as a dapper man called, I would assume that's Michelle, right? Michael, Michael well, I don't know.
1: Here's me with a fake eye accent. Yeah. And just
0: being like, how do we do this? Um, Pignati Morano, he told like the whole Ferrari team that if you win us another championship, I'll walk, knock down walls for you. So I'm guessing that this place is stuffed with vehicles and that if they were to win, they would need to extend, create some space for Charles or Science's car, um, <laughs> which is really interesting because I haven't, um, I don't know. I, I just wouldn't have put this one like my list of places to see, but
1: now it's definitely on there. Oh. Right now, Caitlin, we got to add it to the list. Yes, sir. Oh. Your next place. One day, from that right. though, um, side tangent. So yeah. after undergrad, I organized the mechanical engineering international trip. Yeah, um, I remember that? Like top of my list was Italy, and I'm like, oh, the Bologna region definitely. Like it has all these car brands, and we're mechanical engineers. Like let's go check it out. This is before I was into F1 at all. Yeah. yeah now i'm like "Mm, damn it that would have that would have been an amazing trip could have gone and seen it all and become a fan even sooner i got convinced and i'm not mad about it we went to south korea and then everyone did asia trips but yeah it would have been something so maybe i should have just like i don't know (laughs) done it a different year in school i don't know who knows who knows maybe it was meant to be that i didn't go until we got into f1 and i can go shanko later I know. I ugh, Italy
0: is definitely on my list. I would love to do a European summer very soon here. Um, I don't think we should work in the summers, folks. I've decided that for all of us. I
1: remote, we're Everyone can
0: work remote now. We're proving this. Exactly. Like make the hours work for you. Just live your lives. Life is too short. <laughs> um, we're almost through the full article, but there's a portion where uh it, they talk about are Ferraris ever funny and he said the answer depends on personal taste and tolerance for extravagance in particular and I when he says the Ferraris he's talking more so about the teams and the people and all that kind of stuff and then after that he talked about just what happened with Sebastian Vettel and how the team didn't live up to his standards and all that kind of stuff and that um Sebastian would try to make like kind of snark jokes and it just like didn't work um which i thought was a little awkward uh that they even mentioned it but that's okay but it's the history i suppose um another point that was brought up was just around um charles and the fear that his mom feels so the reporter was told um by the ferrari publicist that they would not tolerate their drivers being questioned about being injured or dying (laughs) which like fair but Claire was the one who brought it up himself he said that his mom sometimes telephones so calls him scared and of course we know what's happened um, with Jules Bianchi who um, died in 2014 at the age of 25 um Charles younger brother is also a racer so it's just in the family you know the risk and all that kind of stuff Um, but he the journalist goes on to answer the question, are Ferraris ever funny? And he said, Not for parents and not for partners, which totally makes sense. And Charles said, and I quote, So it's tough on my mom. I don't know what to tell her other than I love what I do. There's nothing in particular I can say to make her feel better. Um, I'm not going to say I'll be careful. That wouldn't be true. (laughs) I'm going to give it my best, whatever she knows it's a dangerous sport it got massively safer through the years but it'll forever it'll remain forever a dangerous sport and um he said she knows i'm the happiest once i'm in that car oh i could not imagine being the parent of an f1 racer
1: no me neither and like everyone everyone wants to be like a wag (laughs) friend of an f1 driver because you know there's a lot of reasons but Mm -hmm. yeah like um, could you imagine being watching from the paddock and there's a series crash? Like what would go on in your mind? Then yeah, you-
0: and then you just be waiting. You'd be waiting, waiting, waiting. And I think that's very similar to what happened with Roman Grosjean right? Like you're just waiting and you may end those like couple minutes feel like eons. Um, and you just don't have an answer right away. So I think it's really stressful, but that's kind of the article. Uh Caitlin, what did you think? I know you read it too. Yeah, what
1: I read it like? what did you do? Um, I, I don't know. I like the kind of premise that it was like, Ooh, like I'm admitting I'm coming into this place for the first time. And like, just going to tell you exactly what I experienced, what I thought. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. At the same time, I'm like the whole, it's touchy for me too. Maybe because I do have a soft spot for Carlos Mm -hmm. and just him literally being like knocked down a few pegs and this article is (laughs) not ideal, but whatever, well, I, I bet you it had to pass through Ferrari publices before being published, right?
0: I would assume so. They seem to be like fairly on top of um, fairly on top of this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? These folks. So I would think so. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like it's very much a journalist' perspective. So he's, you know, you have to have he has that bias, right? Like this is what he's experiencing and seeing. So just be aware of that as you're like reading it. Um, but I thought it did a really good job of actually describing the compound and, what i make it sound like a cult but like what to expect if you were to visit like what does it look like what does it feel like um but yeah i felt for carlos because i'm like he does come off as a second driver even in this article and maybe again this is what that journalist experienced and he saw and that's all the things but we know that carlos is more than a second driver the guy is brilliant um so i don't know i just thought i thought it was interesting definitely a good read so, make sure I'll make sure to add the um, article in the podcast description so you all can check it out. Um, but it will be in the September 2022 issue of GQ, which should be out now, technically, or close to being out. So, yeah, you can go check out, like maybe get a hard copy. I don't know, up to you. No bad idea. So, the next one, um, oh, before we do that, we'll do an ad break. Oh, gosh. Um, So this episode of Get Checkered is brought to you by Alberta Buklaas. I did that one. I did that one. Oh, whoopsies. That's okay. This episode is brought to you by the Well Endowed um, podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation, hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Um, the Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. And the podcast tells the stories of those endowments and how they intersect with the community. You can subscribe at the podcast.com. Okay. So we had another cover girl, which was a cover guy. I don't know, cover gal, which is Lewis Hamilton. The coveted September issue of Vanity Fair for all the
1: fashion girlies. You said Vogue at the beginning of this episode and that's my bad. Oh, that's okay. But yeah, Vanity Fair.
0: Vanity Fair, the September issue. It's like, it's a big deal to be honest. It's the the September issue for most magazines are the most coveted. I don't really understand why. I don't really know, but I'm sure all the fashion girlies know. And the article is called Lewis Hamilton, the F1 star on controversies, racism and his future. So again, I pulled the whole thing. Caitlin, what did you think of the photos? Okay, so to
1: be honest, I'm only seeing the one photo. (laughs) I did not see this this letter, this article. So I'm kind of banking on you, Shanika, to give us the lowdown. Yeah, I can definitely give it to you. So there's
0: more, Caitlin's right, the actual article itself only had one photo. And then there was like some YouTube videos, um, which are embedded in the bottom here, but If you go on Vanity Fair's socials or Lewis's socials, there's like a bunch of photos and he looks good. Um, Our dude looks good. I'll see if I can pull some up for you, Caitlin. Thank you.
1: Like, I do think I saw some on Instagram. Um, And of course, like it's fashion shoot. He looks incredible. He always looks incredible. There's like, I don't know if you
0: can see this. But this is one of the covers that he posted. There's two covers. This is him in a bathtub. Interesting. And this is the second cover. Him
1: in, I believe that's
0: Valentino. Yeah,
1: I think that's the Valentino of it. Because he did it with Zendaya, did he not? Like there should be shots of him and Zendaya both in this entire Pink Valentino stuff. Or
0: like yes. Band. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry, my dad's texting me. Y'all, my brother's moving to California in like three days, basically. Um, fifteen. More, more
1: big events coming up for next. I know,
0: going through a lot of life changes right now. It's fine. Um, so here's some more photos. If you're watching on the YouTube, you'll see me sliding.
1: Oh, yeah, like just it's it's very artistic photos, and I'm here. It's giving Vanity
0: Fair, babe. That's what my dad said. Okay, Okay. thanks, dad. (laughs) Um. (laughs) But yeah, the article is really long. Um, so I'm not, when Caitlin's looks like, I just didn't have an opportunity to read yet. I'm like, I get it, girl. So I pulled out some excerpts that I thought were interesting. Um, but it is different from the GQ Ferrari one because it's not just a focus on Ferrari with the touches of the drivers. It's very much hyper-focused on Lewis Hamilton, but not just as the F1 driver, but Lewis Hamilton as a whole. So there is a um, quote that I thought, we should talk about because so anyways he the interviewer whose name i don't have i'm so sorry i should really give shout outs to the right people hold on let's see if it's the bottom uh no okay sorry person who wrote this we should credit you properly apologies anyways he talked about how oh, oh, it was by chris heath chris heath i love that I hate that it's two men that wrote both these articles let's change that but that's okay um he talked about how lewis has powerful beyond measure like the tattoo across his chest and it comes from the quote from marianne williamson who i know people probably have opinions about she ran in the election against donald trump i believe she's a bit of a interesting character but it's that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that frightens us most oh wait i even quoted that incorrectly that most frightens us what's interesting and this is a bit of a fun fact caitlin is that this quote from marianne williamson is always attributed or misattributed to nelson mandela it happens all the time a lot of people think that he said it he did not say it it was oh um, marianne williamson who is
1: but there's writer. a pretty recent quote then, hey
0: yeah it, it's really like probably like the last like two decades for sure um but I think it's there yeah nice maybe but anyways so Lewis said he read it and it was just like one of the best things he's ever read so of course he got it tattooed on his body um but I do think it's really funny that it's often attributed to the wrong person um so he goes on in the article to talk about what the jewelry ban we've saw this right where Lewis came out and he was wearing all those rings or um, it's been a a topic of conversation for the last like portion of this season, I would say. And he says that he says that it's directed towards him um, because he's the only one that wears jewelry. And I was like, damn. All right. I love that. But he said that the whole him coming out with all those rings was just him trying to troll them a little bit, which I thought was really funny um what other things he talked about his veganism in the article so he told he said that veganism wasn't even on his radar growing up north london um but it wasn't until about five years ago that he made the transition um when he met a pal of his who talked about what food production really looks like but what's interesting is that the doctors told him initially like hey you are a formula one driver who basically loses weight every time you drive protein intake is going to be really, really important. And you might have trouble keeping up with that. Um, But he said he's had the opposite kind of happen Um, since he's gone vegan. He's actually won five world titles. So I think that kind of speaks for himself. Um, He also talked about his past. So there's way more information on this, which I thought was really interesting. He was dyslexic in um, school, which I had no idea. Um, one of the few black kids, I think, was very common for um, London to be, quite frank. So there's more information just talking about how he just like was not a school person, just did not do very well. School wasn't for him. But the timeline that stuck out to me it was from here, and this is a direct quote from sixth. He proved himself a wonderkind um, at guiding remote controlled cars, beating adults and appearing on British TV. This video clip you can find, folks, I highly encourage you to go look for it. You just see a very determined Lewis Hamilton, just with like the intense face on, trying to beat all these adults, and they're trying to interview him, but he just like is so focused on winning. It's the cutest thing ever because he's like such a little baby. Um, At eight, he demonstrated a similar aptitude for karting before graduating to progressively more powerful cars. And then by 12, his parents, who had split when he was two- um and they state here that his mother is white and his father's black agreed that he should live with his father who can best nurture his evident talent and then of course they talk about his um father and kind of the sacrifices he had to make make which was he worked three or four jobs and then all the money went towards lewis and supporting him in his racing which was take take a step
1: back literally this guy at eight um yeah going towards more powerful cars Shanca, when do you start driving a car 14 is when we're allowed to get our learners in alberta i maybe touched a steering wheel tried my hand of driving when i was like late 12 and this was like <laughs> carding years and years and years before that like these guys like you can tell they're literally bred for like something greater with cars <laughs> i think yeah it's like the nurture, it's I don't know what it is. It's like
0: there's a conversation of nurture versus nature, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But it's
0: like, was this kid born into it a little bit and then his parents were like gonna nurture it all the way? Yeah,
1: right.
0: A bit but of both. I but yeah, that's wild. It's so wild. But I really encourage um folks to read, especially this section of the article. You can just kind of search some of the words that um I've said, but he talks about how he like just his schooling experience and how difficult it was for him. Um, And that how at the age of 13, he was signed to the McLaren development team. But that at school on his 16th birthday or just around then, there was a bit of an incident. Some kid got beaten by six boys and people, uh, not people, like the teacher thought Lewis was involved too, even though Lewis was like, yo, like I had nothing to do with that kind of thing. Like that wasn't me. And he was so worried about his contract being pulled from underneath him. So his dad believed him right away and was like, okay, I believe it wasn't you. And his dad called the guy who was injured and his friends and all them backed him. And it took him months, um, months for his dad to reverse the expulsion that happened. Like he was expelled from the school over something he didn't do, which is absolutely insane, but that he never ended up going back to school because um, he started racing. So yeah. It's like, damn, you have like a ride or die dad there. Um, he also talks about race. And I, I wanted to directly quote this section because I think it's really, really important. But in his uh, 27, autobi- uh, 27, in his autobiography in 2007, he said, for me, race is not an issue at all. And that his father just had encouraged him for years just to blend in and not stand out but that everything changed for him over the last few years. So this is directly from the article. His perspective evolved over time, but the greatest change came in response to the racial upheavals in the spring and summer of 2020. Partly it was that Hamilton felt compelled on principle to speak out and take a stand. He said, and I quote, I've always wondered why me, why am I the only one out of all the kids in school or all the other black kids in black communities, how is it that, um, how is it us that stumbled across it and got into it? So he's talking about Formula One here, and not only got in there, but why am I as good as I am? Why am I wired the way that I am? And I feel like there's some, there's a much bigger picture. And with everything that was happening in 2021, in 2020, with the um, murder of George Floyd, he said that it brought up a lot of things that he'd suppressed. So there's a lot of feelings that I suppressed at the time that I didn't even realize that I had suppressed emotions and feelings that I had when I was younger and it all came up. Um, He says, there was a lot of the N-word going around Um, and other times there was more than words. One day when he was 11 or 12, Lewis was walking to shops in Newcastle where his mother and stepfather then lived. He was daydreaming, singing under his breath, thinking about the Kipling chocolate cakes he was going to wanted to buy. And he didn't even really notice two of them, a father and son, until they attacked. In a blink, they had him on the ground and they were kicking him and shouting, go back to your country. Absolutely insane. He was a child. Um, and he goes on to talk about even today, he remembers how terrifying that whole incident was. And that he never spoke to his parents about it. Like he didn't want his dad to think he was a wuss, but that he really now understands the responsibility he has. So in 2020, we all saw this, but Lewis led the uh, Formula One's reaction to all of this. um, In when he won his award at the Grand Prix in Italy in 2020, um, he wore a shirt that said the words, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor. And then he said this, and this is a direct quote, as he noted later, maybe a little tartly, in the 70 years of our sport, no one's ever stood up there for anything but themselves. I was like, damn, perhaps predictably, a ruling was subsequently issued that drivers on the podium must only display team attire. (laughs) It seems like with reading this article that there's a lot of rules that have been put in place with Lewis either speaking up or just being himself, which I think is really interesting. We have the jewelry one that's already been mentioned in the article, and now the one about protesting when you're on the podium. So things to consider. Um, The article goes on for him to talk about like the Hamilton commission that he pulled together. So we've talked about it a few times in the podcast, but it basically is to examine the structural reasons why um, there's black folks are underrepresented in motorsport. And then to think of the, um, sorry, that was the commission that studied that. And then there was mission 44 that he spun up, which is to tackle those structural systemic issues to make sure the sport is more equitable and has underrepresented groups all in it. Um, but yeah, so I, there was another portion that I wanted to pull here which is just around his, when he first joined Mercedes in 2013. And I loved this because I think it's a reminder for all of us that we should um, really like stand up for who we are. He, before he signed with them, he said, this is who I am. These are the things I like to do. Don't ever try to control me in that respect. (laughs) I'm going to give everything to this and I'm going to help you win championships. And I'm going to show you that being different is not a bad thing for your brand. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I think that's very, like, it made me so happy. I was like, yeah, good job,
1: dude. The fact that it's Lewis saying that, like someone at the top of this game, and he's definitely opened that space up. Um, He's taken a lot of work, but he's opened that space up for like the younger gen to come in and like be open about what they're passionate about too. Um, Exactly. Same age, but like someone like Lando um, coming in talking about mental health, we've talked about him before. So it's just like Lewis did the hard work. Um, and now, other people should be coming forward to do the same, and F1 should not try and suppress that. Exactly.
0: And all of these drivers um, are kind of falling in his footsteps, which I think is so, so, so important. Um, okay. So he talked a little bit about when he joined Tommy Hilfiger for a fashion show. So this is another interesting part of the article. You hear so much about the other interests that exist outside of formula one for him. So that's why I think you should recommend it. You should definitely read it. But he, uh, for instance, was a part of the Tommy Hilfiger fashion show in New York. Um, and he threw a giant party, but it was right like right in the middle of racing, right? These guys are racing all year. So he flew to Singapore um, afterwards for his race. So after the party, after the fashion show, and he knew the whole world would be looking at him. And then he did one of the best, best laps he'd ever put together. And he said, quote, people were like, how the fuck does he do it? So this whole idea of not choosing um, is definitely a place of privilege. Like he has abilities and has teams that can support him from that angle. But I think it's, I resonate really like with it a lot because I feel like I haven't chosen in my career really. Like I've done whatever I felt like has made sense to me. Um, And I was most miserable when I felt like I was in a box. So I think that's something to consider is that everyone has their own path and um, you don't have to choose one thing. Goes on more talking about his Love of fashion um, and that also he's had a few collections with uh, Tommy Hilfiger and that it was really important for him because a lot of Black creatives are overlooked and, again, underrepresented in the space. So now that he has the opportunity to do it, why not do it? Um, goes on again to talk about business ventures. So he talked about uh, he's looking at plant-friendly startups, which of course for me, I'm like, <laughs> okay, sir, are you gonna launch a venture capital firm? Please let me know. Um, <laughs> and there's some mention of a vegan restaurant called Meat Burger that it seems like he might have invested in. Um, also talked about other ventures in the creative field. So we mentioned this, I think, in a few episodes ago, but he is. A producer on the new Formula One movie that Brad Pitt will be um, starring in. And he said the whole thing is he just wants to make sure that the storytelling is authentic. Um, and I was like, okay, makes sense. But what I didn't know, Caitlin, was about this whole um, Tom Cruise stuff. So he's also done other things. He's had a cameo in Zoolander 2. He's lent his voice to Cars 2 and Cars 3, whatever. But for Top Gun, have you seen Top Gun, Caitlin? of course I've seen Top Gun. I just want to make sure. He was supposed to be one of the fighter pilots. Oh. Yeah. And it just didn't. Yeah. He was supposed to be one of the fighter pilots, um, but it just didn't happen. And it's because obviously the season uh, of racing and the year that they filmed this was the big
1: max. We're We're talking Top Gun Maverick.
0: We're talking Top Gun Maverick. He was supposed to be.
1: Oh, that would have been fun. A oh. highlight. Man, already a great movie. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but filming was supposed to take place during like sort of the apex, the, the highest point of the Formula One season between him and Max. So it just like didn't make sense. And he said it was really, really upsetting that he had to like call Tom Cruise back and be like, I'm so sorry. I need to go try and win this thing right now so <laughs> well,
1: Tom Cruise probably definitely understood I know Shanka and I have talked about Tom Cruise like this like they definitely look like they're friends but yeah I thoughts on Tom Cruise. like I don't I you can you if you want to be friends with them okay I definitely don't think I could ever be <laughs> Immediately.
0: and yeah that's what's
1: interesting there's like a whole paragraph dedicated
0: to like talking about this um but just that they are friends
1: and I'm like I don't I you know what, what? mutual interest like fast things <laughs> and like they can learn from each other about different fast things but like in the end Tom Cruise has been problematic in the past yeah and
0: he's still a Scientologist and Scientology is weird so I'm just gonna say say it when, say it with my chest it's true um and then the next uh Paragraph or so talks about Caitlin. I had no idea about this, and I think we, I like, don't know if we can play it without getting flagged Mm -hmm. on Spotify. Um, just for like us playing music, I know we'll get hit with the copyright thing on YouTube, but
1: he writes and records his own music, Caitlin. I saw like last year, sometime he put on his instance his Insta story something about like mixing and like DJ set Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, So yeah, I knew it was an interest. How in-depth does he get with that? Caitlin,
0: I did not know this, but he had a guest appearance on Christina Aguilera's album. Yeah, Liberation. There's a song called Pipe. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe he'll do backing vocals or something. I don't know. But there is like a, he's on the track (laughs) singing, rapping. I would say like very similar to like a, a weekend sort of situation. You need to listen to it. Everyone oh, needs to go listen to it. Caitlin's face. Is <laughs>
1: that the one where... I'm oh, going to see if I can try and pull it up. George Russell, there was an interview with us like, George, what are you listening to? And he's like, Christina Aguilera. He said it might have been Pipe.
0: It probably was Pipe. So the track, um, you can. it's easy to find folks if you're on any streaming service. But what's interesting is that he, it's not credited as Lewis Hamilton. It's some sort of... Pseudonym. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's X N D A. But he's on the fucking song. I listened to it three times yesterday. I was like, damn. Okay, Lewis.
1: Caitlin, you're searching up face right now. I, I am. It. I got i got called <laughs> out in one of my business classes because they brought up, like, oh, this happened with Ford. And I was like, what happened with Ford? And I got called out. It's fine. <laughs> George Russell definitely was asked, like, what are you listening to? And I thought it was so random that it was Christina Aguilera. <laughs> oh, if I find it, folks, it's going on the Insta.
0: It's going on the Insta, <laughs> George saying it. Anyways, he said that a lot of people have been surprised that he's actually, like, good at music, um, which I thought was funny. Because to be frank, like, the track isn't bad. So go check it out. And the uh, last thing is primarily about um there's two things i want to focus on which is just like the aftermath of Abu Dhabi and then just um where he acknowledged that he made a mistake and like grew from it so anyways yeah I will pull that up right now because I think Abu Dhabi is probably the piece that we're all most interested in. So the person that wrote the article talked about how like basically Lewis didn't have a shot, right? Like Everything that went wrong could have gone wrong. Max is on fresher tires, but there was a, the race director, Michael Massey, improvised on a rule, one without precedent that basically made it impossible for Lewis. And this is what he talked about um, in terms of getting out of the car and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I can really put into words the feeling that I had I do remember just sitting there in disbelief and realizing I've got to undo my belts. I've got to get out of there. I've got to climb out of this thing, get out of his car. That is, I've got to find the strength. I had no strength and it was one of the toughest moments I would say I've had in a long time. And the journalist said, I suggest to him that he must feel, he must have felt cheated. And Lewis said, I knew what had happened. I knew what decisions had been made and why, yes, I knew that something wasn't right. So what's fascinating is that Lewis didn't know that his dad was there. Um, in the whole bubble of preparation and focus, he just like, wasn't sure if his father was there or not. And, um, when it, and I I get that, like, I think when you're hyper-focused, you're really not focusing on everyone else. But he said that, it was his dad that really made him feel okay. So his dad embraced him. And I think he was like, I want you to know how proud I am of you. Having your father embrace you in that way is one of the most profound things I've ever. And then he trails off, especially as you've grown up, not many times having that. So the fact that his dad gave him a hug, told him how proud he was of him, which is something that Lewis hasn't really had, just really meant a lot in that moment. He also talked about... Um, not him sorry uh, Melody Hobson who is the current chairman of Starbucks so a little backstory on her they met in 2007 um, she like really felt connected to Lewis just because she's also a black woman who is an incredible business leader but also like one of one right like has had to come up on her own um, and she's acted as a big sister and mentor to Lewis through like the length of their friendship and she just said uh yeah she just said that he was amazing so she talked about his experience from her perspective she said that he was really stunned she remembers stunned like shock he was asking the same question over and over again what happened um I grabbed him by the shoulders and I was like you did everything right I kept saying him to that saying that to him I said, it wasn't you. You did everything right. And he literally just said like four or five times what happened. That makes me so sad. Then Lewis apologized for having having her come all the way to see him lose. And then she said, that's why we came in case you lost. We didn't come in case you won. How sad is that? Like, Oh my gosh! And I know people maybe don't understand this, but Caitlin, remember when I was in shock when we went hunting?
1: Imagine and, being the person it happened to.
0: I can't. And like you just say the same thing over and over again. And could you imagine him saying what happened over and over again?
1: This was our first glimpse kind of into like how he processed what went through his brain because like everyone was wondering like how do you come back after that? Um, exactly. And like exactly. You hear him say like it was pretty like he had to tell himself what to do okay get out of the car okay and do the seatbelt and it's like yeah you like you turn into a robot at that time because like your emotions could just like absolutely destroy you it's like a flood that it he pro he probably had to put a dam up to tell himself what he had to do to literally keep walking that day like that's crazy
0: And I think something we need to give him credit for is, you know, there have been uh, towards the tail end of the season, Caitlin, do you remember that there was that podium that Max like didn't even stand for? Yeah. I'm fairly certain. Like he just walked off. But the fact that Lewis had like was literally cheated out of a world championship, congratulated Max, like went and saw his dad, went to the media, congratulated Max, stood on that podium. And then disappeared for three months. Like, I don't think people give him enough credit. And like you're saying, we're seeing the background of, Everything that was going on with from the perspective of the people closest to him, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a quote from Tom Brady, who again is like kind of a weird dude, not the biggest fan. I'm gonna be honest. I know like this might be us alienating certain bases, but we just have to say it. Um, Tom Brady, Joe, uh, who was standing in front of his TV watching All this Go Down um, called it just the craziest of all endings. He handled it as gracefully as anyone possibly could imagine. There was just no public venting of any kind. Um, And he did the things that I said. Uh, George Lucas, who (laughs) Star Wars legend babes, um, apparently said something to Melanie Hobson, who we just chatted about, that I think is like so surreal. He said he leaned over to Melanie after watching Lewis, like not throw the helmet, go over, congratulate Max shake his hand, sit stand on the podium, do all that kind of stuff. He said, and I quote, "Heroes are bigger than champions." Lewis just earned hero status.
1: Isn't that so sweet?
0: Um, he said that when George, like he heard that George said that, but it took him so long to process it that now looking back on it, he's like, "That's one of the greatest compliments you can ever receive from someone like that." But I think that's quite telling. Um, And then after that, we hear more from Melanie who says that Louis was in like a really, really, uh, Melody, sorry, Louis was in a dark place for quite a while. Um, They invited him out for like to visit them for Christmas. And he just was trying to, they were trying to avoid like talking about what happened. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) And instead they kind of went through, like debriefed all of it. But yeah, that's kind of the the conversation around that. It's just this is the first instance we have Lewis sharing like how he felt and why he felt like he needed to go dark and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's really great that they had interviewed people in his life um, because and people very close to him because I think we get a different look into everything. But man, it makes me feel bad. Like I'm not over Abu Dhabi.
1: Yeah, keep bringing it up it just, it doesn't, it doesn't get better. <laughs> yeah. And we need to be clear here. And I think we were
0: clear even in the race episode, like that we recorded when you were, it was like so early for you. And I think you were the airport. I did aer- Abu Dhabi, right? Cause I literally yeah. went to
1: and then took a flight home.
0: Exactly. So, but I, I think the big thing for us was just like, we were like, this has nothing to do with Max. Like, it's just like, Max is a deserved winner it's not that it's just that the whole way that it was handled in the final like 10 seconds of this race like made no sense and that was the issue so Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they really focused on Lewis and how he was feeling. Um, Like I said the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, just like really important because I think it's like how people can grow and change so in the on Christmas Day 2017 he posted like a 12 second video of his niece um, who was wearing, uh, sorry, not niece, nephew, who was wearing a purple and pink dress, um, with a wand and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Lewis asked the boy, Hey, like, why are you wearing a princess dress? Is that what you got for Christmas? Why did you ask for a princess dress for Christmas? Boys don't wear princess dresses. And the world was upset and Lewis was condemned for gender shaming and other insensitivities. And he says, quote, It was so stupid. I realized that a lot of my upbringing was coming out. I went with just an ignorant moment and I straight away realized that that's not how I actually felt on deep inside. The next day he had deleted the post. By the end of the week, he had deleted his entire Instagram history. I'm just not the kind of person that wants to hurt anybody And the idea that I could have hurt somebody through a stupid post or just from something I said, again, through ignorance, just reminded me of how I had felt from the experiences I had had. And I was like, how am I projecting that? Um, I realized that it was wrong. and, And so then finding ways of not necessarily undoing it, but showing the community I support them. It's difficult in today's world. It's difficult to undo things. So you're probably curious. Lewis always is like fond of sayings one of the ones is like it's not how you fall it's how you get back up so regarding this little neat nephew of his um privately he took it upon himself to get educated on everything from uh talks of masculinity to all that kind of stuff and then he actually posed in a kilt um on the cover of British GQ and then he actually went to Disneyland Paris with some of his extended family and he took his niece, nephew, sorry, to go buy another princess princess dress. And he said, and I quote, what's crazy is you have to learn something from a six-year-old, which I was like, that's, yeah, that's very true. He like is sharing a moment where he got it wrong, which I thought was really good. And that how he learned and that he's constantly trying to unlearn stuff. So I thought that was very sweet. Um, and as we know, Lewis is uh, now just in a total different space with that kind of stuff. Remember the YouTube video where everyone was asked if they would be a part of RuPaul's Drag Race and Lewis was the only one who said he would do it. Like, really? He's like, yeah, I compete. I think I could win. And I was like, yeah. So folks, you can make mistakes even publicly and learn and grow from it as long as it's like an authentic thing. Um, what
1: you said and i want to touch on that too is like you cannot do stuff on the internet for everyone out there listening like shaka and i are well aware we're putting a podcast out there yeah like our thoughts can never be taken away it's out there in the public yeah. same with you guys just be careful <laughs> <laughs> on the internet motherly advice right now no mother, I mean being called a milk before so it's um uh, very very true just be
0: careful and also know that um yeah. Like this, this happened so long ago and like he's talking about it now. So, um, mm-hmm. be open to just have some grace. I don't know. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen, but yeah. And, um, that's pretty much the article. The only other thing I wanted to mention is just around driving. Cause you know that I am not a good driver, but, uh, Lewis says that he really doesn't like driving. <laughs> He really doesn't like driving. He thinks there's too many variables. There's like people crossing the street. And he's like, I just like don't want to think about it. But that is like a little bit of a breakdown from the Vanity Fair article, an interview, an expose that they did on Lewis Hamilton. It is so good, everyone. You should definitely go read it in full. It's, um, yeah, it, it just gives you such a great look into Lewis Hamilton and truly why, um, honestly, like the article speaks to why we love him so much. It's just like you see this person um, as a full fledged person, the things that he's done right, wrong, um, how he's felt about things, and um, that he doesn't want to leave Formula One. Like he's got another year and he feels better than ever in the car and he's still challenged by it. So it was just, it's a very good article. Lewis is truly one of the goats in the world, like up there with Serena Williams, I would say. Um, No offense, I think Serena's a little bit more, but that's okay. Um, but still, it's just it's such a good article. Go read it.
1: It's it's long, but and I mean, yeah. like I haven't had the time to read it, but I'm going to take the time after this little rundown by Shannon because she highlighted a lot of good points and to get insight on what goes on in Lewis Hamilton's brain is a privilege, you guys. You don't get this every day. A hundred percent.
0: It's so good. But I think that's everything, folks. It's been like a bit of a long episode, so. Gotta, gotta, gotta kill it. Your um, girl Keelan got it set up for the beach party. Exactly. And I gotta go <laughs> figure out what I'm eating for breakfast. Uh, no, it's 1 p.m. We need lunch. <laughs> okay, folks. Oh, um, if you haven't yet, go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Get Checkered. um You can always DM us or email us. Our email is getcheckered at And yeah, we'll see you next week, right? Are we racing next week? You should do an environmental episode.
1: I know. I know. If I get my shit together, I can truly. (laughs) Okay, everyone have a good week. Have fun. Stay checkered. Bye. Bye. Bye.